emotional intelligence is not an innate talent that we possess. And, and it is something that we have to, to seek. It's something we have to cultivate. It's something we have to nurture. It's something that we have to condition as our way of being. And, and that takes time. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Um, I am your host, Moira. So glad that you are coming back to listen. You know, part of my big part of the reason why I continue on with this podcast is to share stories and um, connect you with people that I know so that we can help to change lives and help people live their best life and know that that is possible. And so my guest today, um, Trisha Perido, I'm really thrilled and quite honored to have her on um, my show. She is um, she is all about changing lives. Uh, she is a nationally certified life coach, um, master's addiction coach, um, transition to life specialist. I love that. You know, just let's sometimes we're stuck in our in our shit, if you will. And we need somebody to help us transition into living, you know, living our life. And um, she's all about equipping people to have those skills that they need to live their life and free themselves from the past. And um, so before we go anymore, thank you, Trisha, for being here today. I really am quite honored. I, you know, I am just honored and I feel extremely blessed. I woke up this morning um, just with a wonderful energy inside of me, knowing that I was going to be spending my morning with you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I know um, the guests do as well. Those that listen, um, we always, uh, we always talk about the story because so many people that, again, I have met and brought on this podcast. And I know for myself, we go through things in our life. And because of that, because of what we've learned from that, we want to help others because we know that if we can share some things that we learned that maybe we can help somebody else have a little bit, you know, come along their path a little bit more smoothly, if you will. So um, I'd love it if you started with, again, your story and how you've gotten to where you're at today. And I always say, share what you feel is most, you know, that you feel most comfortable with. Um, But I know that you have addiction, story, eating disorder, neglect, (laughs) abuse, all that great, wonderful stuff, right? But I'd love for you to start there. Um, so that we do again have some wonderful context to know, you know, why you're so passionate about what you do today. Sure, sure. Um, you know, becoming a master life interventionist, as I, as I call myself, because there's so many titles and whatever that go go into the the you know to where I am today. You know, you're right. There, there was a long journey that led me here. I didn't know while I was on the journey that it was leading me here, but I I am grateful that it has. Um, my story is long, my journey was long, <laughs> but but all very very um, purposeful. 
And, you know, now I look at it as, as rewarding, but, you know, when I was, you know, as far back as I can remember, right. And, and I'm going to go with, you know, I, the age of four and where that might be gray between three and a half and five somewhere, you know, I was, I was already for people that know and understand this, I was already exhibiting all of the classic signs and behaviors and attitudes and demeanors of somebody that would step into eating disorders, disordered eatings and addictions, um, whether that, that be processed behavioral or chemical in nature. And when I say that, I mean, you know, that at that early age, I already had significant control needs. Perfectionism was a a big deal for me. And, you know, I was reading, writing, doing arithmetic, playing chess by the time I was four, Um, you know, classical piano. I was even competitively swimming. But by the time, by the time I was, I, I remember I was like seven years old and, you know, was, you know, swimming a race and crying through the whole thing because it was raining in my face and I was doing my least favorite stroke, but I had to win. And I did, um, you know, at my very first, you know, big meet and, you know, like just that amount of internal pressure to perform at such a young age. And, and in that period, you know, and that continued that, you know, that need, you know, that, I mean, it was everything too. Like everything had to be color coordinated. The hair had to be like literally perfect. But then I had the other side that was fun and carefree, right? Like I could be out on the farm and my hair could be a mess and I could get dirty and I could ride dirt bikes and I could do these things, but I always had to do it well. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so those things were, you know, there and they they were inside of me already. And then I started experiencing, or we'll just say I, you know, experienced a lot of traumas. My first sexual assault was at the age of four. And, and then there were numerous sexual assaults, rapes in, in the period between um, the age of four and 22. You know, so those things, you know, really played a role in, in how I started to see my physical body. I had many relationships that were um, abusive emotionally, um, but also physically. And then I had a lot of um, issues around abandonment, right? Um, my my father that raised me was killed when I was 12 suddenly in a, in a motorcycle accident. Every year after that, a significant male in my life was also killed in, in a very similar type way. And so I just really started to feel like um, I had like a really at that young impressionable age, I had a really skewed opinion of the male female relationship. (laughs) Yeah. And they Mm -hmm. were either going to leave me or they were going to abuse me. And there was, I couldn't find that way to be perfect. Right. To control them. Right. To control. Yeah, I couldn't find that way to to control myself, to control them, to to make everything just so. And um, so as as true conditioning and um, modeling would have it, 
I, I, I found, I found a lot of things that, that I thought were working for me, right. Um, controlled what I ate, controlled how my physical body looked and, you know, by, by restricting, right. I got really attached to the measuring tape. Um, I remember my mom always talking about an aunt that had a 19 inch waist and, and, and just how, you know, her, idolization of that woman's physical body that I never met and maybe saw a picture of, but by her always focusing on that 19 inch waist, um, you know, my, my friendship with the measuring tape, right? Like my, my waistline was always, you know, uh, an area of focus, um, as, as was, you know, my need to be physically strong, um, and, and so I would, you know, all the time be turning sideways, looking to see how, how thin and narrow I could, you know, could stay, um, that was, so that was an issue, but I also found, you know, when my dad was killed, I was, you know, watching and observing the adults. Cause I was in shock. I was unable to really communicate with anybody. And, and I just, you know, was very isolated and alone. And I just felt kind of like everybody was outside and, and couldn't see, but anyway, I noticed that everybody was drinking and smoking and, and, and they were able to have smiles on their face. So, um, at 12, I'm like, I'm giving it a shot. Right. And I picked up a six pack and a pack of cigarettes. You know, of course I had to sneak it and hide it and go hide somewhere, but it worked. And so at the age of 12, I found just two friends um, alcohol and, and cigarettes. And they didn't leave me (laughs) for a really long time. Um, now up until the age of 26, they served, you know, that purpose for me after 26, it was different. And I started to do some healing, but, um, so in that whole time period, you know, um, you know, I also became a mom. Um, I, my physical body. I have a physical blood type that is a double negative. So it attacks itself. And, and, and so at 16, my, my biological clock was already going off and, and rightfully so, um, as I learned after, but, um, I, I was ready to become a mother. And so I decided to become a mother. And so I, by two months after my 17th birthday, my beautiful boy was, was with me. So in that time period, I also had to learn how to finish high school because back in those days, they kicked you out (laughs) Mm -hmm. back in those days, they kicked you out. So I finished high school and adult school, um, and, and went, went about creating my professional life. Again, everything had to be perfect. I had to be, you know, that perfect mom. And I had to, you know, all of the things. Um, and, and so, uh, when I was pregnant, I gained a lot of weight and 75 pounds to be exact. Mm. <laughs> um, so, you know, anorexia really um, set in uh, after that. So from, I'd say 18 to 21, I had a, you know, really significant battle and bout with that. Um, I won't say that my recovery journey started before I was 26 because it didn't. Um, but I learned how to control my anorexia to where I wasn't getting that negative attention, right? I, I, that couldn't happen. 
Um, I did, I did some bodybuilding and, and some other things, but then the dysmorphia really set in and, and I really was seeing myself even, even more distorted and, and then it became, everything was large. And, um, and so, you know, the, the battle between the restricting and trying to, to keep all of the opinions and everything at bay, it, you know, it was a big struggle. Um, you know, the self-loathing and the, the deprecation and the desperation for, for everything to be just so just, just really was, was a lot of work, mm-hmm. <laughs> was a lot of work. And, you know, there, again, there was, you know, the, the, with, with the different traumas that happened again, different stages with the different rapes and the, the, you know, the assaults and and domestic violence and a lot of loss and everything. It just all got super jumbled up. And, and so when I was 27, it was when I, my recovery journey really started um, because I, you know, I met somebody that really was so open and willing to show me what unconditional positive regard was that, that I had to learn, right. How to, how to allow that into my life. I think it's, I mean, it's, if people have listened to this podcast, it's, you know, it's somewhat, I mean, your story is unique to you, but there are so many similarities to Mm -hmm. so many other stories of that. Um, you know, the story that we create in our head when the men in our lives leave, you know, and so then we have a different type of idea about men and we can't trust them and we can't trust ourselves around them and those type of things. And all of these things in our lives get out of control. So we find a way to control them. Those similarities just run throughout so many. And it's also, it's, you know, you said it's a lot of work and it's exhausting. You know, I've yeah. seen that with, um, I saw that with myself, my, my few years in college, but I, I've seen that with my daughter and I've seen that others with others. And um, it's like this, this focus on trying to keep your life together. And it's just mentally and physically um, exhausting. And then, you know, I believe there's another part of the story that we have people or things that come into our lives that, that can break us out of those perhaps those patterns or they're there to help us learn and thank God for your husband who came into, I think a couple of things you said are so important there. He showed you how to, how people, um, how someone can love someone and give them positive attention. Um, but then what you had to do and what you chose to do was that you chose to allow that to open yourself up to receiving that love because many people can love us but if we're not willing to um, love ourselves and to do that work to say, well, I am worthy. And it's in that past, right? We can get rid of that past and then I can be right here and accept that. It's hard work. That's hard work too <laughs> and exhausting. It is, it is hard work because you know what you what what is coming up for me in this space is yes, I allowed for him to to show that to me. Which, which meant, you know, I allowed him to love me that way. I allowed all of our children because, 
I had actually lost two others after my son, but my husband had four. And, and so I, I got all of my kids and my, when we got together, but um, so, you know, that was, you know, the great gift. So I allowed them to, to love me and I showed them, you know, all of the, the love and kindness and support. Um, and, and they all got unconditional positive regard from, from me. Um, but what I didn't, what didn't happen um, for some time was I didn't love myself. And, and so it, it happened in, in stages and, and waves. Um, and I would say that just the last 10 years, have I really shifted into loving myself first without feeling guilty, selfish, punished, or restricted. And, and, it, it's it's taken a lot of a lot of um a lot of time and a lot of work and and you know I'm going to highlight here a reason for it because you know in in this period it's a way I've learned to completely summarize it is you know emotional intelligence is not an innate talent that we possess and and it is something that we have to to seek. It's something we have to cultivate. It's something we have to nurture. It's something that we have to condition as our way of being. And, and that takes time. So, you know, um, I, you know, I got to a point in my life where, and this is, you know, a, a big transition. And this is where I shifted into loving myself, you know, one of our daughters, you know, through through the years, you know, we had all kinds of things. My husband traveled a lot, generally was gone like 200, 200 nights out of every year, you know, like he was traveled a lot. And again, we had five kids and they were, you know, growing up through adolescence. One of our daughters uh, had AML, um, which is, it's leukemia, right? Um, and a very aggressive form of leukemia. Um, she came down with that her freshman year of high school. And, um, you know, going through that with her, um, you know, and, and it really created a different kind of connection with all of us, right? Um, not an enmeshment, not a reliance on each other, but a, but a, a knowing that we could rely on each other as a, an entire family unit, regardless of the age of the person, because even our youngest who, who was considerably younger and eight years younger than she was. And she was 14. Like even he did his part, um, inside the family unit. Um, and, and, and so when they all started to, to leave and to move out was another significant period that I had to battle. And, and so empty nest is, is a big deal, especially for somebody who hasn't learned to love themselves yet. Um, I, you know, I fell in love with my role and, mm. and, and I saw that as my purpose for being. And, and so when, <clears throat> when my husband is still, you know, traveling and, and, and our kids are moving out and leaving, <laughs> um, and, and, and starting to have children of their own, um, I also have five grandchildren, uh, you know, that it, it's, it's a tough transition for somebody who defines themselves in their role. And we are so much more than that. And so in that period, I developed 
generalized anxiety disorder. So on top of, you know, all of the other things that I'm, you know, trying, I had a full hysterectomy when I was 29. So in, in that hormonal change and, you know, in, in, in a lot of other things, right. So I was about eight years into eight years post hysterectomy and, and just hormone replacement didn't work well for me, just all the things, right. And, and, you know, my physical body was, you know, again, attacking itself like it had been since I was 18, just, you know, I was in a fit and I, I didn't know what my purpose was. And, and so, you know, I found myself, you know, finding projects and I was overspending and I would go and just buy things and redecorate and create. But whenever I would create and design and make things, I was always drinking. (laughs) So my drinking escalated some, but then that anxiety piece came in and my, my doctor prescribed me Xanax. Now, my doctor knew I was a low level daily drinking because I had gotten my drinking into a space where it was, you know, daily drinking, diagnosably for sure, alcoholic, but never truly intoxicated, like, you know, three cores lights a day or something like that, you know, but still a daily drinker nonetheless, right? Um, and they prescribed me Xanax. And, and so for anybody that doesn't know, using benzodiazepines when you are a drinker is a deadly lethal combo, even if it's something that happens over time, because like for me, they prescribed it to me over the course of five years. I never abused the Xanax and, and, you know, I never intended for my drinking to escalate. However, the daily use of the two combined synergistically created a physiological addiction, but, but more so an, a, a drastically increased level of tolerance. And by the time I noticed, by the time I noticed it was pretty serious, right? It was pretty serious. It was pretty significant. Um, you know, in the morning, I, I really had to have that maintenance. I was just maintenance, you know, drinking and and maintenance using of, of the, of the Xanax, you know, I would get up in the morning and I would have the anxiety and I would have the shakes and I would have the sweats and I'd have the nausea and, and I, I would have to have a beer and a Xanax with, you know, before my coffee, um, just to feel like I could function. Right. It wasn't to catch a buzz or anything like that. It was just to function. And I said, as a control freak, this did not bode well. Mm-hmm. Right. It did not bode well because I was no longer in control of my physical body. I remember my husband asking me, why now? Like, why? And my best friend who had known me since I was four, why now? Why do you need to go get why why do you need to go for help now? And and I said, because physically I can't stop myself because I knew I could feel my liver working. I could, you know, all the things, right? I was swollen and I was barely eating and just all the things, you know, I went, I went to, I went to a medical detox where I could be supervised, right. Cause my blood pressure was off the charts. My liver counts, everything was hijacked, hijacked. And, and, and it so, is dangerous in that, yeah. in that, yeah, it's dangerous to do that by yourself. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also dangerous, you know, it, people don't realize when you recover, it's not just about removing the chemical substances. It's about giving your physical body the grace 
right? To love your physical body and give it the grace that it needs to heal for as long as it is. I hear this all the time and I don't want to, you know, veer off too much, but I hear this all the time. I'm going to quit drinking and I'm going to get fit. Well, so everybody, you know, they drop it, they go on a diet and then they start exercising, you know, like six days a week, but so bad for your body. Your organs need to heal your skin, your brain, your everything, your liver, your pancreas, your stomach, your nervous system. Everything needs time to heal and return to a baseline homeostasis, whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, and, and that takes time. And, and so we have to give ourselves that grace and, and we have to do it smart and effectively. And, and so, and that's with anything. And, you know, so I, I did that and I went on that and, and, you know, I really needed to know because again, I'm a control freak, <clears throat> book, bookworm, whatever you want to call me, right? Like the lifelong learner. I went to school after um, I came out, right? <laughs> I went to school after they got me all stabilized. I'm like, Okay, I did I did my little 30 days in in um, a treatment program so I could learn how to open the refrigerator door without grab going for a beer. I found a really good place and a place that helped me fine tune a little bit of my relationship with food. And I say a little bit only because <clears throat> some of their again our traditional our traditional treatment modalities they have a purpose. They are very valuable. They have a lot of valid need, um, but they, but they do lack. Um, and, and, and I sit on the, you know, the California association of alcohol and drug educators as an executive secretary, I am involved in this and I get it, but, but it, they do, they lack, um, they lack in a lot of different areas, but so it helps me get into touch with what I needed to in that space with regard to my relationship with food. But then I went to school um, because I needed to learn the physiological effects of drugs and alcohol on our bodies. And, and so it started from there five and a half years later. And I don't know, 15 credentials later, you know, you know, here I come. But that for me was my recovery journey. And in that is where I really started uncovering psychologically how I had never stepped into loving myself, that I had allowed myself to love others and I had allowed others to love me, but I didn't ever learn how to love, love and accept myself for who I was. And, and so that's what really started that 10 year journey that I've been on in, in, in learning how to experience living the way that I desire to see myself experiencing living the way that I desire. And in all avenues and, and facets, because body dysmorphia is no joke. Mm -hmm. This evening, I'm doing a talk with um, a widow's group um, here in the area. I've been asked to talk through a friend who started the group many years ago because of an unfortunate loss of her of her husband. But I've been you know, thinking about this and talking about this and writing about it and the fact that our life, you know, we think, you know, we grow up and perhaps we dream or think or any derivation of that, of what our life's going to be like. Mm -hmm. And then it happens and it doesn't always match up with that picture. And so we have to have this, I at least what's helped me is that realization that, yeah, we can have those thoughts. But again, life 
doesn't always happen that way. And so what are we going to do? We can sit and go, okay, well, this sucks. And, you know, live, I like to look at it as like living in the past there and the martyr and the victim and, oh, woe is me and all that. Or we can choose to learn from the past and know that, again, we can't, we can't control what ha- we you know. We can't change what happened. We can't control what happened. But what we can do is, you know, try to uh, work on getting rid of again, getting rid of the past, realizing it doesn't define us. But you know, learning from that. Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skincare, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. There's two really critical things I hear in there. Uh, and, and one is, was a life-changing spot for me, right? That, and, and it's the locus of control theory that, that brought it to me. And, and it's really being able to say, look at those external factors that have been manipulating, dictating, or whatever about how you think, feel, believe about yourself. And I did this with my sexual offenders, right? Um, and, and as I'm looking at that, I, you know, and I'm able to, I'm able to see that it had, those acts had zero to do with me, right? And this is a big shift and it takes a lot of work, but it can be done with anything. Um, but, you know, in looking at that, it had those, those, those acts, those events had nothing to do with me. I was literally just the vessel for another person's bad act. And so for me to take that on and to carry that, it was not appropriate, right? And it was not, you know, sure, there's there's mourning, there's grieving, there's there's things that need to happen for the healing process when somebody does something wrong to you, but it has nothing to do with them. That now has everything to do with, with you, you know, um, and your relationship with yourself. And, and again, that loving yourself. But then there's, you know, the other piece is being able to stand in front of the mirror, right? And again, I, you know, I brought up dysmorphia and, and there's so many places where mine stemmed from and, and where it was exacerbated or where it was, you know, where it ebbed and flowed um, and, and, you know, periods when it was, you know, more significant, more controlling, more derailing. And then there's where it is today. You know, um, I don't know as though it ever completely goes away. I've learned to live with it. I've learned to love it as part of who I am, but that took a lot of work. And, you know, so I think regardless of what our issue is, right, if we're relying on something outside of us to bring us peace, joy, comfort, relief, value, validity, worthiness, whatever, (laughs) 
if, or if you know, we're allowing something outside of us to, if we're adopting those negative feelings, right? Those negative thoughts, opinions, beliefs of another person, if we're taking them on and we're owning them as our own, you know, we need to, we need to start somewhere. Right. And so for me, that's, you know, really examining what I see when I look in the mirror and, and being able to stand there. And, and, and I'm not just saying, oh, you know, I see a bright young, (laughs) you know, young aging woman, (laughs) right. So I guess I can't really say young anymore Mm -hmm. considering I'm in my fifties, although I feel younger today than I did, you know, when I started this entire process, but you know, it's, it's about standing there and, and saying everything that I see. And, 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 and that means breaking it down from, you know, from the end of your hair to the tip of your toes, like every piece of you, like, what do I see? What do I feel? And I see and feel this because, and why do I, why do I have that because feeling right. Or seeing, and where did it come from? Where did it start? Like we have to get to the root of it. And then how would I prefer for this to look, feel, be? How would I prefer for this to sound, right? Because when we can get into and shift into our preferences, then we can start to learn how to love and appreciate and and truly see value and know our own validity and worthiness Mm -hmm. just glancing in the mirror. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not shy to say that I, I don't, I don't, um, I have specific measures that I do with a mirror, (laughs) right. To, to have it be a productive, proactive part of my life. Um, because a mirror can be not my friend or the mirror can be my friend. Just an example would be my vanity mirror in the bathroom, right? It's deep counter distance away. It's, from, well, you can't see me, but it's, you know, from above my, my breast up, right. I don't need to, when I'm doing my hair and my face and brushing my teeth, I don't need to see my whole body. I need to just see that part. I don't get up close and personal. That's right. I only use the magnifying mirror when I'm plucking my eyebrows because I can't see anymore. Right. I get my eyelashes done by somebody else because I can't put mascara on with mm-hmm. glasses and I can't see my lashes with glass, you know, I can't anyway. Um, so there's things I do to, to keep me from over-examining myself. You know, my full length mirror is not by my closet. And I, you know, and I do things like, you know, I know that a deep look or an over-examination of my physical body or how I look in my clothes doesn't serve me. I get up, I get dressed for whatever I feel Mm -hmm. like I, you know, emotionally what I want on my body. I may or may not even glance in the mirror. Um, And if I do, it's head on. It's, you know, I don't need to turn and all the different angles and see if every angle looks great. Because when I start to do that, then I'm what? I'm Mm over-examining. I don't have a scale in my house because that, you know, promotes obsessive behavior. Um, And I have the control. I, we do have a scale. It's, you know, out in the, you know, in our, in our, the tack room above the garage, which happens to be my office, my husband's man cave. Um, it's out there and I go out there frequently. I just don't get on the scale very often. Right. And I have, you know, very specific times that I do, 
But, you know, so we have to learn, you know, it, it's that relationship with the self and it, and it's very singular. It's between you and you. <laughs> right. Well, because I think that, I mean, what you said a while back about treatment programs, like treatment programs have, sometimes they can be a, a jumping off point, if you will, in that they mm-hmm. help you get some better relationships with certain things. And then it helps, you know, and then you can, you know, the work isn't done, you know, after, you know, at when you leave, you know, the work almost like, you know, begins, but everybody is unique and different. And so one particular program isn't going to work for, you know, everybody, but, right. um, but the same kind of thing, like we need to find what's going to work for us. And um, I choose the same thing. There's no scale in our house. I haven't weighed myself in years. The mirror work is very, um, is very interesting because I shared on a, I often share uh, about Chris Heron, who I don't know if you're oh, familiar with him. his, love yeah, him. And he's, he's great, you know, lucky to be alive, you know, a professional basketball player got messed up in um, drugs and I believe alcohol, but I know for sure drugs. And so he has made um, his life uh, purpose to go around and speak to groups. And often what I was introduced to him in our, at our high school where he came to speak. And um, in regards to mirrors, I mean, it was, it's profound, you know, filled the place and profound um, talk and so moving. And, um, you know, for sure, he said that he continues to do this work so that it keeps him on that, you know, as you continue to tell your story, of recovery and sobriety and all those kind of things, it it helps you on your path. But he talked about the mirror that he used to shave in the shower. And his wife noticed after a while, as he was getting better, if you will, or in recovery, he would shave in, you know, in front of the mirror in the bathroom. And she said, and she noticed that and she pointed it out to him and said, you know, I noticed that now you're shaving out here. And he said, I couldn't look at myself before. Yeah. There was so much shame. There was so much. And so, um, so again, the mirrors are powerful thing. I really don't recommend doing it by yourself. Um, well, depending upon your level of or degree of severity. I mean, this is the whole reason I do what I do is one. Yes. Because I, I eat, sleep, breathe all of the work that I do every day. And, and by the grace of God, you know, I, and you know, I I've been, been put or in inserted into the people's lives that it that the work that I do speaks their language also. So I've been able to help thousands of people, you know, learn how to live free and love themselves without feeling guilty, selfish, punished, or restricted. But it's the whole reason I started the program was because of the gaps in service that I noticed right? That transitional period where generally you're, you're, you're discharged to go to AA, NA, OA, you know, um, Al-Anon, whatever, you know, go to these social groups. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that and, and see a therapist once a week, right? Like for me, that was a huge gap. One, there wasn't AA, NA, OA or any of the A's in the city I lived in, which meant I had to go to another town over. And then I wasn't with my peers, if you will. Right. So there wasn't that, but also for me, 
sitting in the same room day after day. And I had, I was no stranger to AA because I had been court mandated a couple of times that a couple of DUIs early in life. And so I wasn't a stranger to it. Great social support. But my biggest fear was that 30 years down the road, I'd still be sitting in the same chair in the same corner in the same room telling my same story forever. And that that was going to look what, what my life existence was going to look like. And, and, and sure, there's my version of it now, right? Like I, I don't, I tell my story when it has a, you know, a therapeutic purpose um, in the work that I do with other people um, as it, you know, relates to what their needs are. And, and yes, I love to come and speak to other people because I want to help. But I think that, you know, the biggest gap for me was, you know, we send people home to the same house, spouse, kids, bills, job environment that they were previously not functioning well in and and we don't and there's nobody there to to really teach them how mm-hmm. right how do we use the 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 things that we've been talking about right in our therapeutic groups how do i take my therapy session home and actually use it um so that's why i designed my program was you know for that you know, transitional space. And then I found that it also serves people that don't need to be removed, right? Because there's different levels of severity. Mm-hmm. Not everybody needs to go to those stabilization programs, right? I, I I work with a lot of folks that are high functioning, right? They're they're running their own businesses, et cetera, but they 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 have these struggles, these internal struggles or these negative attachments or these habits, addictions, whatever. And, and they don't need to be removed from their life. They just need to learn how to do things differently. Um, and, and, and so it, it's the whole reason I created it because we need more, right? So it's, we have to learn the practical application of the psychological skill sets and tactics, right? Yeah. Well, cause I spoke with a gentleman uh, uh, earlier this week and as he shared his story, it was very evident that throughout his life he does he didn't figure out how to deal with this perfectionism and the um the loss and the all these stressors and things like that in his life he didn't he didn't know how to deal with it um right. in a very healthy way and so um we and I talk about this so much is like we have to find the things that we can put in our tool belt to help us again deal with the you know Deal with the loss, deal with the trauma, deal with the perfection, deal with the whatever it is, but you got to find something. And again, everybody's different, but we just have to find something and life continues on and patterns repeat themselves. Yep. And so we can choose to, you know, I always say like, just spend some time taking a look at the patterns. If it just starts there, like look at, cause I did that once in marital counseling, you know, she did some geneogram or I don't know, I think that's what she called it. It doesn't matter, but looked at the relationships on my husband's side, the relationships on my side and looked at, and we talked about those patterns. It's like, wow, that really showed me <laughs> why uh-huh. I was dating those men along in life because I was following a pattern that I saw somewhat subconsciously, I believe, when I chose these people. But as again, I've said so many times, we have the wonderful thing is that we have the opportunity when we start to realize that and commit ourselves to this work is that we have a chance to change those patterns for ourselves, but also the generations, you know, Mm -hmm. to come and it starts with us. 
right? It starts with yeah. us and finding those things that help us, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, deal with like, identify those things and say, okay, I'm not going to do it that way anymore. Cause that didn't, that didn't serve me. And so I want to find a way that serves me in the best way, in a better way. And, um, and uh, I like what, I mean, the 12 steps is, you know, can be just so, so helpful, but again, there it's not like, and just like treatment, it's great, helpful, but it's not the only thing. So those, that support group, that 12 step, it can be helpful, but what else is going on? What's the work that you're doing when you're outside of that room? Right. What else do you need? And I just, I want to, before I forget about it, like just that mirror work. I love (laughs) what you say, like you look at it, but then it's like, okay, so what do I see? And how do I feel? How does that make me feel? And where do I feel that in my body? That's what I do with some of the energy gal that I, that I see. It's like, well, how do you feel? Like, where do you feel that in your body? And like, why? Like, why do you feel that? Like, it's just, it's pulling back the layers that much more. You have to be willing to ask yourself why as many times as you need to, to get to, you know, the real, the real why, right? (laughs) I mean, I do that often with my, and I don't know, maybe you do this, but I do that often with, you know, the clients that I help in in wellness and also the ones that I mentor with entrepreneurship is we have to get to that why. And so there's a seven, there's a seven questions kind of thing. You know, you ask them like, okay, why is this important to you? Or tell me what's important to you. What's your goal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, why? And okay. So why is that so important? It's like that. Why just continuing to ask that question to get down to the point that a lot of times people get emotional about it, yeah, you know, but it's uncovering really the root of it, as opposed to something that we're just doing and acting like, because perhaps we think that's what we're supposed to do, or that's what we've just always. We've been conditioned to be surfacey. Right. It's very, it's very, very true. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. Instant gratification needs, maybe yeah, just very surfacey. And what do you, there are others, I mean, as we look at, you know, kind of wrapping this up, we, again, that mirror work support and things like that. Are there other things that really help you or that you and, or that you help to um, bring your clients through to really get kind of rid, like we, I said in the beginning, kind of set themselves free from the past and, you know, step into living a life that they deserve? Yes, absolutely. So the mirror works just a piece, right? Again, we have to, we have to cultivate nurture and condition emotional intelligence, right? Which means we have to be willing um, to dive in and do all of the work that that needs to happen for that to happen. And it's it's a it's a long list, so I won't go through it, right? But we have to have impulse control, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, you know, and and things in of that sort. When we're when we're looking at, you know, you know, doing the, you know, the full work, we have to, we have to cultivate that emotional intelligence. We need to be willing to sit in the length of time that it takes to condition it as a new way of being. If we think of uh, even just post-acute withdrawal, right? Post-acute withdrawal lasts for two years. So if we're not willing to at least give ourselves a solid year of cultivating, nurturing, and conditioning, um, in our, you know, first 12 months of healing and get through our first everything's, 
then then we're really not dedicating ourselves to ourselves. I don't believe in that 21 days to change a habit thing. I believe in I believe that living without ha- habits fixes everything. Um, we really need to be you know willing to create that um, that lifestyle that is bendable, flexible, pliable because it's that rigidity that that really um, uh, inhibits us. And then you know. I want everybody to know that, you know, self-loathing, self-sabotage, self-deprecation, all of that desperation can become satisfaction, pride, content, true balance, whatever that is that you're looking for. Um, There is a way to stop pressuring yourself to be perfect, (laughs) to, to stop despising um, your need for constant repair. I hear that all the time. I'm sick and tired of needing to whatever, right? Like whether that's diet or or whatever, right? Like I'm sick and tired. I just despise the fact that I'm. I feel like I'm in constant repair. We we can stop dismissing our accomplishments um, because mm. we don't we don't we don't put enough emphasis on accomplishments. And and there is a way to stop the never ending all in an all out right cycle of whether it's diet fitness emotional well-being whatever roller coaster ride you're consistently on and and so you know the first step is to admit to yourself that you know all that you really want is peace joy comfort and relief that you desire fulfillment and that you aspire to walk in insight awareness and thoughtfulness with very purposeful action um, and of course above all you know, you want to experience true intimacy, a complete unconditional positive regard for yourself, your relationships, and your environment. The real journey isn't about changing who you are as a being. It's about changing how as a being you show up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> it's There's so much there. And, um, you know, as we've talked before, we could talk so long about that. There's so much there. But again, that's what I love for having these conversations. We can start that conversation. We can help people who listen to this start to think about that. Like, hey, well, how maybe these are things that can help. Maybe I can step into starting that journey to self-love. Yeah. Just find somebody that speaks your language Mm -hmm. that you gravitate to, that you understand. Like, I know I'm an acquired taste for a lot of people you know, there's, there's somebody for everybody. Right. But that's, that's why I say, and my friends laugh at me when I say this sometimes, but that's why they make chicken and parts. Right. That's why I always say, because not everybody prefers the legs or the breasts or the wings. I mean, every, they make chicken and parts. And I also just love, and when I look at my own journey that for a while, things, certain things work. Mm -hmm. And then I think there is a point that sometimes we grow out of, if you want to use that word, or perhaps again, this has served us. This person has served us. This therapy served us. This environment served us. And it's okay to change. It's okay to be open to, um, and I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about this because my son is getting married next weekend. And I've started writing his letter to him that I would like him to read the day of the wedding. And that's part of it is like, just don't be afraid, like be open to possibilities yes. because things come into your way and change happens and change is good. And you're starting your life together and like your life is going to go on and things are going to change and you're going to have ups and downs, but 
know that there's possibilities for different and there's things change and that's okay. And again, you need to find, and there's so many people in the world, there's so many things in the world that you can take part in. You need to find what works yes. you know, best for you. I think with that overarching, like, again, we're here to live our best lives and, um, and, uh, and we can be free from that past stuff. What happened in our past doesn't have to define who we are today and on into the future. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. 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 So, um, I appreciate everything that you share, um, you've shared here today and previously with me, and I'd love to leave people with, um, you know, how they can find you, um, again, what you're up to these days, you know, because again, this will all be in the show notes, how you can, uh, connect with Trisha, but let's, um, let you share how people can find you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I can always and easily be found and connected with, um, the easiest way to do so is turning leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S recovery.com. There's a quick button for a conversation, totally pressure-free. I just love talking to people. And I have my signature foundational program that that has been tried and true, um, which is learn to live free. That's where we get all of that emotional intelligence that we we didn't know we didn't have but need to to create life change. Um, And then there's Evolve that is um, an amazing and and just so fulfilling of, of a program. Um, it, it does include the emotional intelligence, but also has all of the all of the esteem and and lifelong maintainability work that we need to do. Um, and and then there's loving your physical body, and and that is my hybrid, and it has a little bit of everything in it, but primarily it's it's all about 100% loving your physical body. How you fuel it, how you create fitness, how you emotionally attach, how you see yourself, how you present yourself, and how you know yourself. They all matter and they all, you know, need to get in alignment. And, and that's, you know, truly where um where the, the magic happens. So mm-hmm. that's that's the deal. That's what I'm up to outside of, you know, I don't know, um mm-hmm. conferences and and teaching and and training and 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 mentoring and credentialing other coaches. So even, you know, at Turning Leaves, if I don't, if I don't wet your whistle or I don't speak your language, perhaps one of the other nine coaches that, that work under me might. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you do have, (laughs) um, yeah, you have a, you have a podcast, Mastering the Drop. Oh, yes, I do. And so I'll be coming on that um, in a little bit. I've got myself on your schedule to just uh, that real view of recovery. Again, I think that's, because I've been doing it for two years. I think it's a great way to get, get words out, have these conversations out there too, um, for free. Absolutely. So thank you, Trisha, for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, again, you'll find all her connections in the show notes. Um, it's been great. It's wonderful to connect with you. And again, share that similar purpose of just helping people, you know, rid themselves in the past and, you know, move into their, their life that they deserve to live. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. Yeah. We'll catch you next time on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? 
please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.